and hi guys this is trace and i'm lace and we're here with a very special guest today that we're excited about yeah oh my goodness so we're super excited keenan thank you so much for joining us um yeah utah right yep all the way in sunny utah county hey we're in 107 we're, degrees we're out nice here. and sunny yeah. out here in arizona <laughs> Sunny, 85 degrees sunny. Yeah, but sunny. If we have some lip sweat going on, don't mind us. We're just outside in 115 degree weather. That's okay. It looks I good. Love it. I love it. Well, you guys, I'm super excited. I've known Keenan for like, what, almost 10 years. Um, I think it's been exactly 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. We worked together yeah. um, in college at Utah State. And he's just been such a good friend. And it's been so awesome seeing what you've been able to do and just like be someone that I've been able to stay in touch with and talk politics and talk life. So thank you for that. We are super excited to have you on. And I think we should just kind of dive right in and have you share a little bit about your background in the political arena. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to. So yeah, back, it, it all really started, I think, in college, just taking uh, regular political science 1100 as a freshman coming home from my mission. And uh, I had a professor, uh, Professor Michael Lyons. And I remember the first, first day he came into the class, he said, I, the first thing I want everyone to know and to get out of their mind is that one person cannot make a difference in politics. And I remember being like, whoa, okay, so he's just gonna throw everything I learned my whole life out the window, like immediately every teacher, every elementary teacher, school teacher saying like, everyone matters. And he's like, no, you don't, you don't matter. Let's just, you know, get, get that out of your mind. You think you are, huh? No, literally. And I remember thinking like, okay, well, this guy's got a lot to teach me, let's do this. And I just kept taking his classes and kept taking his classes. And by basically my, almost my senior year, I, I to be honest, I didn't, I had never met with a, an advisor or anything. I was like, I better check out online to see kind of where I'm at school wise. And I was like three classes away from graduating in political science. And I was like, well, <laughs> just by kind of just letting my interest guide me, right? It was like, I'm going to learn about federalism this semester and I'm going to learn about international default. relations. What, what was that? By default, you knew where yeah, you were. Totally. I found kind of my tribe within just a few professors and i basically just took every class that they taught uh he was one of them um and Jeannie johnson was another one who's just a brilliant uh you know former cia uh you know and it just it is it was a great great experience and and while i was you know working with lacy i got to know uh the uh the the chief lobbyist for the university neil abercrombie and neil kind of grabbed me in the hall at Old Main one day and said, hey, do you have an internship? And I said, I hadn't even thought about an internship. And he's like, I've got one. You got to come in. Let's interview. And he pulled me in and he basically did everything and set me up with Rob Bishop's office, Congressman Bishop from Utah's first district. And so I went to DC and I, right when I got out there, I immediately fell in love with, you know, just the idea of wearing a shirt and tie and having a badge that got me to go anywhere in the US Capitol. And you know, even as like an intern, you're walking around just feeling so important. Yeah. And you know, you, you, you know this about me, but not anyone else who, who knows me, but I tend to push boundaries to see kind of like how much I can get out of something. So I would like go into rooms that it says like members only. So it's like very clearly only for members of Congress. 
and I'm just walk through. I'm like, someone will stop me if they don't want me to go in this room, you know, and I just walk, walk anywhere in the Capitol building, you know, and, and I, I just love, I love that building one. I, I love Rob Bishop. He was a, he was a school teacher for 28 years and I was a constituent correspondent. Uh-huh. So I would, I would write his letters. Right. And so people, and then he would, he would basically read them all, get a red pen and just correct everything. And like, even as far as like, are you dumb? Question mark. Like, why would you basically like, why would you write this? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I kind of <laughs> just guessed. You had really thick skin or you had to get thick skin really quick. Oh, I had thick skin from day one. I mean, from every, you know, I have two older brothers and older sister. When you, uh, I think I was yeah. just saying, when you're someone who likes to push the boundary, you're <laughs> yeah. probably someone who has thick skin. Well, and I'm not, I'm not super bright. And so that combination, it's just really, <laughs> you know, I, I remember like getting dressed for school and my sister would be like, you look really tacky. And she said it every day. And so I literally thought that it was a compliment for like years. I'm like, I do look really tacky today. They think, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And so it wasn't until I was later, I was like, she's offending me. And I'm like, I actually don't even care. Like, I'm still going to wear my striped shorts with a plaid shirt because those are my two favorite things. And I don't really care if they go together. I love it. Uh, So yeah, yeah. Long story short, love Rob, love working in his office. Uh, I came back and uh, ended up working for the color run for a few years, funny enough, but just kind of a fun craze. And, and uh, eventually my wife and I moved to Grand Cayman with Del Sol and, and did an internship there and we loved it. And as I was, we were kind of sitting on this island, I remember thinking like, you know, I could be here forever, but I just always felt this drive and this calling and it was, you know, the election cycle was coming up. And so I shot an email to Neil again, who helped me get that internship with Rob. And he said, Hey, I've got some people here. I'll, I'll set up some interviews for you. And I came home and he had interviews for me set up with lobbyists, with all kinds of people. And I had my first foray into, uh, you know, politics, really kind of the non government side, more on the political campaign side with a company called data elect working for Abby Cora, who's now Abby Evans. And she was brilliant. I mean, it was the funnest. She's just a data genius. And, you know, and, and learning from her, being with her every day, we, we ran a lot of state and like just local races, uh, which was so fun. Uh, very different than the more national races, I would imagine, and the congressional races. She was tied in with the Mia Love campaign. Uh, and she was doing the data for the Mia Love campaign. So one time, one day I walk in and they're like, Hey, we really need a part-time volunteer coordinator. Can anyone do that? And I was like, Hey, I did that for the color run. Like I would, I would have to, you know, recruit volunteers to come do it. So I'm happy to do it. And they're like, okay, Keenan, we'll do it. And so I started out 20 hours a week doing that. And another 40 hours of work a week at data elect running state house and Senate campaigns. Uh, and then one day the, uh, the communications director, his name's Boyd Matheson, who was, Mike Lee's chief of staff. He was the president of the Sutherland Institute. He's now the editor in chief, uh, or maybe the opinions editor at Deseret uh, News. Uh, Just sharp guy. I mean, chief strategist at Trillium Strategies is brilliant. And he's like, hey, you know, take, are you good at writing? And I'm like, I think I'm good at writing. I'll take a (laughs) whack at it. And he's like, yeah, why don't you write? What's that? Oh, I said, you always have the attitude of like, why not? I'll figure it out. And I love that. No, I know. And that was literally, yeah, I, I did every job I've ever had. It was, 
at the color run, it was the same thing. I started out as a 1099 employee, just like whatever the lowest work was. And they'd be like, Hey, we need someone to go and, and put toilet paper in all the porta johns. And I'm like, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, and I would just run through and like make it fun and make a game out of it. And I never said no to any job, no matter how low it was, no matter how much it sucked. And it was eventually like, okay, you know, we're going to make you a, a, you know, a race director now. And I eventually worked my way up to being, you know, in a full-time job with them. And it was, it was great. But same thing with the Mia Love campaign. It was, Hey, write this opinion piece and let's see how you do. And it was like, Oh, great. Now I want you to write social media posts. And I'm like, okay. And then one day we get an email. It's like, Hey, Boyd left to go be the president at the Sutherland Institute, which is a conservative think tank in Salt Lake. Uh, you're the only one that knows all the passwords to all the social media. So I need you to be the communications director now. And I'm like, ah, I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, uh, so I immediately just start Googling, like, what does a communications director do and how do I do what I'm doing? And uh, luckily it, it coincided well with I, uh, my final year at George Washington university in my master's program, doing a master's of, uh, political management, which is mostly strategic public relations, legislative affairs, campaign affairs, things like that. So I wasn't necessarily flying blind. I think I'd probably make it seem a little more loosey goosey than it really was. But uh, the reality is it was just a scenario of like right place, right time and allowing myself to accept a lot of opportunities. Um, I think the fact that you aren't scared to say yes, speaks volumes. And I think that's something for all of our listeners to learn from. Um, I think so many people just are scared of that outcome. And it's like, yeah, you might fail a couple of times. You might say or do something real dumb, but look oh. where you are now. Like, it's amazing to see. Well, I could tell you right now, there was, there was more than a few times I said or did something that was dumb. Like I, you know, I worked for Mia Love and Mia Love is sharp. I mean, she really, she really knows her stuff and she works hard. And what's hard about her campaign is that, you know, being a woman in politics, she's under a, a, a microscope like no one else. Um, being a black female Republican, she's under an even smaller microscope. And so any little thing that we could give to the Democrats, the DCCC, which is basically the the division of the Democratic National Committee that runs congressional races for the Democratic Party. Uh, I mean, they were just on us. Every little thing we did, they would turn it into a fundraising email for the Doug Owens campaign. And so there were a few times where I would write a post and I would share it. And then it would, I would immediately get a text from her or someone that's like, take that down, take that down, take that down. And I'm like, oh no. And I'm like, you know, and she, it was, it wasn't like a massive uh, population, but I mean, her Facebook had four or 500,000 people that followed it. Yeah. I mean, it was not uncommon for, uh, each post to have millions of impressions. Yeah. Right. And so imagine that being my first social media marketing job like that is, it's a lot of anxiety to yeah. say, yeah. you know, because a lot of those, the small races, it was, you know, it was just like half of one County in Utah and it was like a rural county. And it's like, yeah, he has 112 people that follow his Facebook, like whatever I post, like I could post whatever I wanted on there and people are gonna like it and be like, way to go, Brian, you're gonna do great this year. We're voting for you. We got all the cousins out. So, you know, if all the cousins come out, he's gonna win. Oh my so, God. 
You know what I think is so interesting too is the fact that you were working with a woman that happened to be black, a Republican, and in Utah. I feel yeah. like those are like four <laughs> of the perfect storm. Yeah. I mean, it totally. And the thing about her is when you get to know her, she's easy to not like if you only listen to the opposition, right? They're just like, oh, she's this and she's this. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But you meet her and you're like, oh my gosh, she is amazing. She's sharp. She's so funny. She's fun to talk to. She remembers people's names. Like that to me is huge. I, I remember multiple members of Congress that I've had, I've sat in meetings with where, you know, I've uh, like the seventh, eighth, tenth meeting and they're like, Oh, and what was your name? I'm like, I'm Keenan. I work for me. And he's like, that's right. Keenan. I'm like, okay. And I'd see him in the airport and he's like, Oh, I'm like, Hey, how are you? And he's like, Hey, have we met? I'm like, yeah, we've met, you know, a dozen times now, but yeah, don't worry about it. I'm just, you know, low level guy. You don't need to remember me. And she, she remembered everyone. We would be in Nephi or in, in random parts of Sampe County. And we would walk down the street and people would be like, Mia. And she'd be like, Hey Frank. And I'm like, Frank? <laughs> Who is Frank in Mount Pleasant, Utah? How do you know him? And it's like, you know, it, it was just really interesting. She, she was great. And, you know, I, I could talk about this subject for a long time and, I, and tell me if you, you know, want me to stop. But the thing that's hard for a lot of people, or really for the Democrats, is she kind of goes against everything that they say Republicans are right? Yeah. That the were a party of old, white, rich men. And she was literally none of those things, right? And it was like, you know, I wouldn't say she, like, she did fine financially, I assume, I don't know. But, you know, she was a black mom. Yeah. And she was living in Utah, and she's a Mormon, right? And she, she just blew up everything that they say we are. Yeah. And so it was so easy for her to be a member of the Black Congressional Caucus right and be the like the one of two republicans in the caucus the only female republican in the caucus wow. right and just be the voice of you know republicans there and it was she had so much respect that she had her democratic colleagues who would come to utah and stump for her yeah. against doug owens someone who would be you know a democrat that's how much they loved her on both sides of that i mean if i i know he's kind of Frayed into the background, but uh, Trey Gowdy was her. Uh, if you, if you all remember him from South Carolina, Trey Gowdy was kind of her mentor, and yeah. Paul Ryan, and these are people who just they just kind of clung to her like a magnet because they could tell like, you know, she's special. Yeah. yeah. Um. And in Utah, some people saw it and some people didn't. We, you know, when we go through and do kind of the segmentation analysis and and on a polling side of things, it really is kind of creating what we call like a type tool and, or a personality. So we basically say, here are five different types of person that might be likely or unlikely to vote for her that are lean or strong Republicans, right? So these are people who might be, you know, women between the age of 30 and 60 that have four kids that we know they drink Diet Coke. We know that they watch Grey's Anatomy. We know all these things about them, right? Because we have a lot of consumer data on them. There was whole swaths of them that when you would call them and say, uh, hey, you know, can we expect your vote? And everything about them said, like, of course they would. Any Republican, they should be voting for any Republican. They'd, they'd hem and haw and they'd say, 
oh, well, I don't know. She doesn't quite represent us. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. what do you mean she doesn't represent you? Like, what about her? And they can never quite nail it down, right? You could say, well, like, is it her stance on abortion? No, no, no. We're, we're aligned there. It's okay, is it stance on national defense? Is it her stance on Second Amendment? Is it her, like, what is it? Trying to really nail it down. And at the end of the day, it's like, there's just something about her. It's like, okay, well, we know what that something is, yeah. right? And that something for some people is that for older generations, more specifically, is that she was black, um, which is a hard thing to, to hear. It's a hard, it's such a hard thing to fathom in yeah. 2016 yeah. uh, that that's still a reality. And the other harsher reality, or equally harsh in my mind, I shouldn't say harsher because, you know, it, but we're, we're moms and other women who, who weren't supportive. Yeah. Right. I can't tell you how many times I would say just as many women as men would say, well, she should be at home with her kids. Doesn't she have kids? She has young kids. That's all about the kids. We're worried about the kids. And it's like, Hey, like she's a great mom. She's got a husband. She's got family. She's got people who are here. Like, what do you mean? You're not going to vote for her because you think she should be at home with her kids. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. I get that you think that she should be home with her kids, but like at that, like, do you think no, women should work like yeah. it's 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 disconnect. there's like a generation gap within the republican party right now and i think that's one of the main issues is the young versus the old and no common ground what do you think yeah um i i would say that there's for sure a, a gap for sure i mean i think part of it is there's a huge number who of kind of the millennial Gen Z who have gone to college now. And, and I, and I know that a lot of those older generations be like, Oh, you're a college boy, right? You, you know, you think you're so smart, but the reality is it's not even about the education. It's not even about the classes. It's what you surround yourself with. Before I went there, I had zero friends that were gay, that were trans, very few that were black, uh, that, you know, of all these different things. And I left, with, you know, Lacey and I were on the executive council at the university together. And I used to love to go to the love is for everyone meetings life. And I met so many people that were incredible, that were gay, straight, queer, trans, all of it. And I loved them. They were amazing. I met people at the diversity council and, and the multicultural diversity center who were incredible people that I still love to this day. And because of those relationships, because of those conversations, it completely changed my outlook on a lot of things, yes. right? Because you can't just say, I don't believe in gay marriage. I don't believe in these things without it, you thinking about these people and how it's legitimately affecting them. Yeah. You know, you can't just say racism doesn't exist because one, you know, I grew up in a family where, you know, my stepmom's black, my, you know, brothers and sisters I grew up with are black. And so I've literally saw it. Right. I mean, yeah. I had instances where I'd be walking down the street and, in Sacramento with my two brothers and a cop would come over and be like, Hey, are you okay? And he's, he's very obviously only talking to me. And it's like, yeah, we're fine. You know, yeah. Yeah, these are my, these are my little brothers and we're just like bouncing a basketball walking down the street. And yeah. you know, the, my point being, cause I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. My point being that college gave me the experience to really surround myself with all kinds of people and with that experience came understanding, with that understanding came compassion. Um, and so in some ways, I think that that can create a gap. 
Yeah. I think too, for me, um, we were talking about this and I was talking with my sister and I mean, I didn't go to college. I'm a hairdresser. Sure. So, um, but you know, grew up a white woman, whatever. But, and I, when this whole, since we're, I didn't know if the conversation was going to take this place, but it's brought it up in my mind while we're talking about it, um, about the whole BLM thing, you know, and given it a month ago, I would have been very like, you're, you're not, stop it. You're not a, like, you know, yeah. the, the, and, and then I realized like through talking to people and realizing of, like you said, being understanding and opening my mind, you know, I didn't, I didn't go to college to learn that. I had to really just look inside and of myself and understand their, their side of it and that, that everyone has their own feelings and their own, um, whether yeah. we can get, whether we agree with it or not, like they feel that, that, that that's their, their, that's how they feel. And that's, and it's never going to go away. And this racism is going to stay together if we don't bridge that gap somehow. Um, because you know, not everybody's going to college or, yeah. you know, and I, not everybody's, it's just being more, everyone needs to be more open and understanding to, to understand, you know, to, yeah. Totally. Well, be, be open to experiences. Yes. Be, op be open to meeting people. You know, one thing I, I really love that my wife loves to do is she finds the weird, like the coolest, weirdest, uh, like events in Utah. So it's like, I mean, just really cool things. Like she went to one where it was like a dance class being taught by some women from Africa that were teaching like their native dances. And then at the end they, they made like their native food. And, you know, go to that and, and meet these people, right? Yeah. And I think that it's okay to accept and understand people and, and love people and know that that doesn't mean you're going against who you are as a person or your religion or, or whatever it may be that you got in your head about why you don't agree with these people's choices and actions. Like, that's not your place to, to, to worry about that. And it, you're not discrediting what you are and what you believe just because you can find understanding and love of someone who's different than you. Yeah, totally, totally valid. And, and I think, you know, the Republican Party has kind of long touted themselves, I think, in a lot of ways as kind of being God-fearing. I don't want to say Christian because there's a lot of, you know, Jewish people. There's a lot yeah. of all types of faiths, right? But God-fearing. Yes. Um, they, there's a lot of value to them. In, in the reality and the, the thought that the founding fathers, that all of this in America is kind of divine, right? Um, and I think for any religion, for the most part, the tenets of it are kind of the same, like love everyone. And, yeah. and you know, from a Christian standpoint, we were never taught to love people like us, right? It wasn't like love people with the same beliefs, everyone else yes. by the wayside, right? It was, yeah. no, it's, it's very clear. It's very obvious. Love everyone. What does that look like? Does love mean, oh, I'll just tolerate them? Does love mean, you know, I'll just kind of let them do their thing and I, they're not going to bother me? No. If you love someone, you fight for those people. Yes. yes. Right? If, if, someone that I, if someone that I love is legitimately going through a terrible time, I'm going to call them. I'm going to figure out what's going on. I'm going to figure out how I can help them. I think too much, too often people here love everyone and they literally think don't hate them. Yeah. But the reality is it says it's love. Like love is like fight for that person. Love is give them what you have. Uh, and, you know, I'm kind of preaching 
stuff that I might not necessarily be good at, at doing myself, but the reality is it's an ongoing process. Yeah, like you're talking about that kind of self-discovery with the Black Lives Matter movement. It's an ongoing process, yes. right? And, and you don't necessarily have to align yourself with the organization, right? Because that's kind of the biggest thing that people like to say is like, I'm all for it, but I don't like the organization. It's like, cool. Like, that's fine. I don't care about, I don't know. I don't, I haven't, I honestly haven't read the, the, the tenets of Black Lives Matter. But what I can tell you unequivocally that what matters to me is this, the, this questions, I, I was listening to a podcast about it and they asked this question, should George Floyd be alive today? Should he be? Absolutely. It doesn't matter if he had fentanyl in the system. It doesn't matter anything else. He shouldn't have died. Yeah. He shouldn't have. You know, that shouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. Should Breonna Taylor be alive today? Absolutely. 100% she should. Um, you know, and, and it's, for me, it's that simple. You know, like black lives, do they matter? Yes. And to be honest, initially, I was for sure one of those people that's like, well, hold on, you know, all lives for sure matter. It's like, no, I had to change it in my mind to black lives matter too, right? Also, as well, equally, they matter as much as every single other person then you know at the risk of three white people you know talking about black lives matter and i'm sure there's a lot of people who are just going to roll their eyes at this whole conversation and i you know i'm not going to apologize because the reality is how i feel no, and it doesn't matter small caveat i'm half mexican so yeah. yeah and if like even if it was like like i said talking to one friend who kind of helped change my perspective if this small conversation can change even one person's perspective that it can continue on yeah. down the line to help change people because i think like we said whether we agree with their deep um ancestral trauma that's been in, you know ingrained in them it's never gonna end and go away if we don't find a way to love and accept and have compassion for them despite what we yeah. feel that's how they feel and it's real for sure and and i think too something to think about and we can kind of you know, maybe this can be a parting thought and we can move on to other things, but I think we can't, we also can't have the mentality that like, we're going to solve it. Yeah. Like it's not going to go away. There's people that out there that just don't care that yeah. are just the opposite and that's what they're going to teach their kids. And that's what their kids are going to teach their kids. But it means we have to fight against it constantly, constantly. If you're against it, you have to outright be against it. You have to say something and it isn't just, you know, being an ally isn't just for a race. It isn't just, it's for everyone being an ally for everyone. Yep. You know, I was, I was recently at a, a, a kind of a, um, not a round, it was kind of a round table. Right. And they were talking about black lives matter and the movement and everything. And later on, one of the panelists came up to me and we kind of were talking about someone and they're like, Oh, is that person, when is that person going to come out? And I'm like, Whoa, I'm like, you were just talking like just minutes ago about like people and how important it is to like protect them and how we need to see everyone and be an ally. And I'm like, that's like a really inappropriate question. If that person is not ready, it is not our job. It's not our prerogative to make assumptions of what, one, what their preference is, two, when they should come out. And I, I was just, I was frustrated. And I, and I said something and I walked away being like, Ah, oh, that person that might have burned a bridge there, but I, I, I know I wasn't, I wasn't rude, but I, I was very clear that like that's not a conversation that I'm okay with having. Good for you. You know, if you you can't be an ally with for one thing and not the other things. Like you, if you're an ally, be an ally for people, right? Fight for people. I love um, that. I, and you no, know, move on from that, Keenan. 
fight for people and I would say fight for, you know, what it is that you believe for. I know there's so many younger people, especially that want to get involved. Um, I feel like right now is kind of a crucial time for many people, but they don't maybe know how to get involved. So share yeah. with us, like, where would you advise them to even begin? Yeah, uh, I mean, this, this is a, it's a great question. And the hard thing is, depending on what time of year it is or what year it is, it can be really hard to know what to do. Okay. So, you know, when it comes to politics or really any kind of activism, things that you care about, one is like, you've really got to figure out how much you care about it. Uh, because you can say you care about something. I know a lot of people who really care about Black Lives Matter, but like, you're never going to, you don't see these people out at like rallies. You don't see them out doing anything about it. They're on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like they put their black square and they're like, okay, I did it. That was brave. I'm really brave. Right. They have their like great uncle who sent them a DM. That's like, I can't believe you do that. And you know, it was like, okay, you yeah. are brave. Congratulations. And, and I'm not trying to knock on what anyone's doing because for some people that was a hard thing to do. Exactly. Yes. It was hard for me. Like yeah. if there is judgment, whether you do it or you don't do it, that's what's so great. Yeah. I feel like right now we live in a world that's so divisive that you have to like double think everything. And you yeah. never thought, like, if you would have said to me 10 years ago, this black square thing would be a big deal. It was. It was a big yeah. deal for me. Well, it's, it's, you're making a statement to the world. And, you know, and I, anytime you do that, you, you just can't please everyone. Yeah. You know, and that was something that was very obvious working on any campaign. Yeah. Anything you said, there was someone who either didn't think it was conservative enough or it was way too conservative, or it's crazy, or it's racist. And it's like, you know, you, you can't listen to everyone. You have to figure out what is true, one, what's a fact, and, and what you believe and what you're willing to kind of put yourself out there for. Because the reality in this day and age, whether you want to accept it or not, everything you do or say very well can end up on the internet and very well can cost you your job. For all I know, this podcast is going to cost me my job, right? I don't know. I'm, I, I hope I haven't said anything that it would, but you know, that, that the reality is it takes a few people to blow it up on Twitter and all of a sudden there's 500,000 people reacting to it. And I get an email from HR that's like, hey, you know, this isn't going to work out anymore. And so that, that's something that people are, are definitely afraid of. Um, and that's hard. But getting back to the original question, uh, what can people do? I mean, you have to, you have to know the election process. You have to, so many people are just skating by with, you know, reading political posts and things like that, but they have no concept of who their elected officials are when they are up for reelection and how they get elected. You know, it's not just voting way before it ever comes to the polls. There's a whole process. And depending on what your state is, that process can be kind of complicated. Um, you know, in Utah, we have a couple different routes on the Republican side to do either, a, you know, the caucus convention or the signature gathering. And, you know, with the caucus convention route, it's kind of, and again, at the risk of me sounding kind of rude, it's kind of the most conservative kind of crazy conservatives go to caucus. <laughs> Yeah. A lot of my moderate Republican friends, they don't go. They don't even know what it is. They don't know when it is. Exactly. It's the, it's. It's the vocal, the very vocal minority on the fringes that are choosing your candidates yeah. because they're going to the caucus, they're getting themselves and their friends elected as delegates, county or state, and then they're going 
to conventions and they're voting in the candidates that they want to vote in. And very often those are the most far right or the most far left candidates. Gotcha. And so imagine like, imagine your craziest person, like your crazy uncle or your craziest person that you know, that guy is picking who's going to be your candidate. Yeah. And for a lot of people, they're just like, how do we get these people? And it's like, dude, no, really think about that. How did you get there? Because you could have done something. Part of the electioneering process or campaigning is saying, okay, we have a candidate that we think can win. What we're going to do is we're going to go to that community. We're going to find that neighborhood and we are going to stack that caucus with this guy's neighbors. We are going to just bring everyone there. Everyone there is going to go in and vote for only our people to become delegates. Okay. These are people that we want. Now those delegates are going to vote for our candidate. Now our candidates on the ballot. Does that make sense? Yeah, total sense. And it's like, and you have, it blows my mind every time. Like I know it, but just hearing you explain it is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And in Utah, there's another process. It's, you know, the signature gathering. There's another route that you can go. Basically, you have to get a certain amount of signatures of registered Republicans in your, in your district or whatever voting area, and then you can be on the ballot as well. Okay. And so there's kind of two paths. So, uh, you know, at convention, if you normally, before SB 54, where we allowed the, the signature gathering, you used to be able to just, if you got 60% of the votes at convention, you were the candidate. Um, and you just kind of won outright. If not, it goes to a primary. And so now you get a scenario where we have uh, kind of like we just had with the Utah governor's election with, you know, four great candidates who, you know, went out there and got the signatures themselves, knocking doors. They definitely didn't hire a signature gathering company who hired a hundred people that just knocked doors all over the state. So you, you can literally buy your spot yeah, okay. on a campaign or on a, on a ballot at this point. You totally can. Wow. If you've got a couple million dollars to spend, we could we could get both of you guys on. You can be running mates. You can be on the ballot for no, just a couple million dollars. We can do it. Trace and lace. We'll twenty twenty four. Right. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that's like I, I definitely oversimplified it, right? But the reality is that's kind of how it works. And there's a lot of people who hate that that's how it works because those people love electioneering and they love getting into the delegates and kind of swaying them, right? When you're getting in an early side of the election, that's what you're doing is you're calling delegates and you're saying, hey, are you going to run to be a delegate again? No, you are? Okay. And then do you like Mia or do you like Lacey? No, you don't. Okay. And then you guess what? Now we know that guy. We got to figure out which caucus to go to to vote him out. Yeah. and get someone else to replace him so much goes into it behind the scenes that we never even see well and that's the point you don't see it because you don't go yeah right people don't see, it's there if you just go yeah. you know if you want to get involved go to a campaign office or like it and dm them on instagram or facebook and say hey i want to help they would love help handing out flyers doing honking waves. I mean, the easiest thing you can do is put on their t-shirt with a sign and go on a corner somewhere that says, you know, honk if you like so-and-so, Yeah. you know, are you, you're going to get some honks. You're going to get some birds. You're going to get it all. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's not hard. And if you, if you're serious and you want a career in it, or if you're thinking like, Hey, I think I could be, uh, you know, the next Olivia Pope, you know, what, 
I know. <laughs> you know, then what you oh, can do. I just want her clothes. <laughs> I just her clothes. Yeah, that's good. No, but if you want to be like, you know, if you legitimately want to be in political affairs and you want to be an operative, go like a, a lot of people started literally just as volunteering. Yeah. Get to know the people who are working on it. If you've been volunteering and you're dependable and you say yes, right? Take on more and more and actually show up when you say you're going to show up. When there is an opening, they're going to talk to you first. Yeah. Right? And then as you do it, you're going to go on to all these conventions. And you're going to meet people from every other campaign in the state because you all are kind of going on the same road trips, right? You're going to all the same counties doing the same Lincoln Day dinners and county conventions and all this. And, you know, at the end of it, you have this whole group of friends and, you know, it's like, hey, what are you guys doing next? What's the next campaign? Where are you guys going to work? Right. And all of a sudden you have a network. You could do that in a year. Yeah. If one they're serious I, about it. One thing I think that's super cool that you said that I want to just make sure that we highlight, because I think it could be, you can take this and go any direction with it, is the fact that you were never scared to start at the bottom and work your way up. I think there's so many people now, especially younger people who maybe get out of college and we think that we need to start, you know, at a certain level. And for most people that will never happen. And you are never scared to, like you said, you were the boy who brought the toilet paper to the poor bodies. Like, so yeah. I think that's so crucial for especially young listeners to realize, like we all start somewhere type of thing. Well, and be humble and accept that you don't know as much as everyone else. Yeah. I was going to say, I think one of my favorite things you've said is in the very beginning when you went in with your professor and he was like, you don't know, like, you know what I mean? And you, and your first response was, okay, I got a lot to learn from this guy. Instead of being yeah. like, this guy's an idiot. He's going against everything I've ever been taught. I'm out of here. You went in right. with an attitude of, all right, this I got a lot to learn. And I like, as soon as you said that, like I wanted to comment it this whole time because I like love that you said that. Yeah. And I just kept talking and talking. And talking. You did. And I didn't <laughs> want to cut you off. <laughs> you know, I what, what's, got it in. <laughs> what's, what's interesting about professor Lyons is he's, he's brilliant. He's a staunch Democrat. And so we would kind of, you know, I I've always been kind of the lazy man's Republican in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I worked, I, I was really close friends with, uh, uh, Lacey knows her, uh, Kristen, Kirsten Rapley, who is, uh, Lieutenant Governor, soon to be Governor Cox's, uh, Chief of Staff for the last few years at Utah State. And she would, she's just a hardcore Republican. You know, her dad is a, was a state congressman and state house. And she would always just be like, you know, you're Republican. Why do you fight it so much? I'm like, I don't fight it. I just don't flaunt it. Yeah. You know, I, I, and some people don't like that, but you know, I worked for a lot of candidates that I'm not nearly as conservative as them. Mm -hmm. I'm not like, I just, but you know what you learn and this is something you want to learn. If you want to be a volunteer, if you want to be, uh, you know, a political operative, you don't have to align on everything. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you, you just have to, yeah, you, you just, honestly, all you have to do at the end of the day is be able to get their messaging across confidently um and and just you know go from there there's a lot of times working for mia or or working for other people that they'd say well what's your stance on this i'm like my stance doesn't matter yeah like it just doesn't matter and i would have some people who would really try to dig in with me they're like no really but what's your stance and i'm like <laughs> I don't know. it doesn't matter 
no one cares. Like, why does anyone care what my opinion is on, on politics? Like, it, it, I can't vote for, like, you know, legislation. So who cares? No, you know? I love that. Do I think the moon landing was real? Maybe. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Are birds drones? Definitely. The world is for sure flat. I just, I, I've kind of just kind of taken on the mentality of, like, you know, I just take everything a step further. So when someone is like, I think the earth is flat. I'm like, you think the earth is flat? Like, I don't even know that this is all real. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's a simulation. And you just take it weirder. And then they just, you know, they leave you alone generally. So I do the same thing with, you know, people like global warming is a real, pro you know, a real problem. It's like, you think it's a globe? It's flat, man. You know, this is a flat world. You just like to push the limits. There you go. Yeah, and then but, and it ends the conversation. I don't want to have the conversation. I'm going to sound crazy. No one wants to talk to a crazy person. Yeah. If I sound crazier than you do, you're going to end the conversation with me. That's amazing. That's like when people used to ask me when I walk out in public with all six of my kids. I'm like, they're all yours. And I'm like, no, I stole half of them. But now I have to be careful. I can't use that joke anymore. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I can end no, really. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, I came in with four. How many is there now? There's six. Yeah, I, I just collect them as I see them. You know, no big deal. Yeah. Little red eggs in a row. Oh, well, Keenan, thank you so, so much for joining us. This has been so fun. And I think I can speak for myself and everyone. We learned a lot, not only about politics, but about kind of your approach to life and how you've gotten to where you've gotten. I want to end with one question. I want to know, and I didn't even like kind of prep you for this one. Okay. No. <laughs> we have younger listeners who are kind of starting careers. What is your one piece of advice that you would give to them? Oh man. I would kind of give two pieces of advice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. They're kind of the two most important things to me. Um, and they guide, they guide every part, every interaction I have, whether it's career or not. Um, but one is you need to learn to see people as people. Um, and if you ever, if you want to read a book that would help read, um, leadership and self-deception by the Arbinger Institute, that book changed my perspective more on, on people than anything I've ever read in my life. But, and when I say people as people, I mean, quit seeing them as a hand up or a way to get in something or, you know, see them for who they are, have conversations, remember their name take genuine interest in who people are. I honestly hope that everywhere I've ever worked or every person I've ever interacted with left that being like, dang, he was really nice. And like, he not just nice, but kind, right? Cause there's a difference, right? Nice is just surface level. Kind is like, he really like took the time. I could tell he was engaged when I'm having a conversation with them. I'm not looking off on the side. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not looking at my watch. I'm talking with them when I see them again. I'm going to bring up their kids. I'm going to bring up their vacation. I'm going to bring up whatever. And I want them to know that like, I, I, I genuinely care about people and I like people. So get to like people. If you're one of those people, it just says, Oh, I just don't like people. It's like, dude, no, you're just kind of a, you're just not, <laughs> you know, you're, you're not, you're not, I, I'm not going to say it. Cause there's, I don't know what the listenership is here, but like, you're just not, you're not a good, you're not a good guy. The other, the other side of it, is like you mentioned earlier, just say yes, like take risks, uh, get out of your comfort zone. Be like, you have to be able to, if someone says, hey, can who can take this, do it. Just go do it. Even if you fail, who cares? Just try. Because you might realize that you're actually really good at something you didn't know you were really good at. 
Thank you so. so much. And I can say firsthand that you definitely practice what you preach. Um, you're a whole big reason why we're even here today because starting a podcast is not easy. It's scary <laughs> and there's a lot of roller coaster rides. We won't show our text thread of when we were freaking. Ian <laughs> has been like the best. So we owe you and we're so grateful for you. And yeah, thank you so much. So good to see you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And uh, you guys are great. Really grateful to come on here if you ever need uh, moderately conservative political commentary. Give me a call. <laughs> we'll remember to contact you for the moderate view. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks, Thanks Ian. Bye.